There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 887. This episode brought to you by Sony Pictures Classics presents Brigsby Bear, which is a new film starring Kyle Mooney of SNL. Mark Hamill, Greg Kinnear, Matt Walsh, Michaela Watkins, Claire Danes. It is a uh, it is a cornucopia of all stars, and uh, so it follows the story of uh, James, who's a uh, bright yet sensitive young man, and he's obsessed with this show called Brigsby Bear. And uh, the show gets canceled. He decides that the show absolutely must go on, so he kind of goes on his own Brigsby Bear adventure. And uh, so you should go see it. Brigsby Bear starts Friday, July 28th. It's in New York. It's in Los Angeles. It'll be coming soon to a theater near you, and it opens nationwide August 25th. So thank you to Brigsby Bear for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. Let's see what the corkboard has in store. Oh, boy, this is where I need sound effects. Uh... Let me fishing around for a, for a corkboard. No, doesn't really work. Corkboard. There, that'll work. Uh, Mike Craghead writes, I've always made my thing, but at the ripe old age of 46, hey, that's not old, I finally consolidated all my non-lucrative creative enterprises into a home-brewed site that feels warm and fuzzy to me. 3D pumpkin carving, sand sculpture, music, graphic design, and other stupid Mike tricks. He calls them all at MikeCraghead.com. And please note that it is Crag, not Craig. Oh, that poor guy. That has been the bane of his existence, is having to explain to people that there's not an I in the middle of his name. Mike Craghead. Crag. Craghead. Uh, he says, I can't see myself quitting my day job because all this stuff is very non-lucrative, but maybe I'm proof that you don't have to stop doing a thing that brings joy to you and or other folks just because it doesn't pay rent. Please take a look. Hope you like it. Thank you, Mike Craghead. Uh, there is no I in Craghead. Kind of works, actually. Patrick Malloy writes, hey, I've been listening to Nerdist since I was a big cubicle cluster of corporate lawyers who all listened to the Nerdist podcast while we reviewed corporate contracts. And on the day of the Jenny Wade podcast was released, several of us were questioned as to why the entire cubicle section was laughing, wanted to share the story. Anyway, oh, Jenny Wade's the best. So funny. Gotta have her back on soon. Anyway, my second novel, Shadows on the Bayou, was recently released by Bedlam Press. It's a spooky novel about a hitman who was pulled from retirement for a simple mission in New Orleans, but he quickly gets wrapped up in pulpy New Orleans voodoo. It's like John Wick meets Indiana Jones. So who wouldn't love it? You can get anywhere books are sold. Fantastic, Patrick Malloy. Uh, And also, maybe you were able to actually do your own contracts. Huh? The law degree paid off. Nice job. Nice job to both of you. Uh, This episode is 80 Bryant whom I adore. She is a brilliant comedy genius. She is on Saturday Night Live. She is also uh, the star of Danger and Eggs, which is the show that um, half my company, uh, well, it's half my company. 
I don't want to say my company because it's also Shadi Petoskey's company too. So if I say mine, I don't want you to think I'm saying it's my, it's, I, it's mine. I mean, Shadi is the genius who does all the work over there. And uh, I just get to kind of stand back and watch cartoons being made. So when I say Puny is mine, I don't necessarily mean that it's I'm doing everything. <laughs> it's, it's really Shadi who deserves the credit in her team. But AD is uh, brilliant. And, uh, and this was a delightful chat. She came to the house. Uh, on a day that I had off from the the At Midnight program, which is ending soon. I know, I know, I know. One more week and a half of that show, and then uh, August 2nd or 3rd, I think, is the last episode. Anyway, I've now made this about me, and this is 80s intro, so I'll get back to that uh, at a later time. But not too much later, because we only got like a week and a half. But uh, 80 Bryant, Danger and Eggs, is an amazing, gorgeous... Children's show in the way that, like, Spongebob is a children's show or Adventure Time is a children's show. But it's on Amazon Kids, and Amazon's been great, and they've been supporting the show. And we had a great panel at Comic-Con, and Shaddy brought all this original artwork from the show. And there was a signing, and they gave it away, and we had a super fun panel. And we gave away hundreds and hundreds of pieces of original art from Danger and Eggs. And so um, it's been really great. The show is amazing and gorgeous and inclusive and funny and and uh and really different i think than anything else is out there so give it a chance it's on amazon prime video danger and eggs uh there you go and also you know write and rate and review it if you can hopefully positively because that stuff really does help you know particularly with amazon that helps ensure that we might get to make more of them and i think it's a great important show so i would love to be able to make more uh so that's that uh, ad bryant this episode of the nerds podcast also brought to you by blue apron uh, for picnics, potlucks, dinner parties, barbecues. Good food is an essential part of a successful summer. And now it's easier than ever to create delicious summer meals with Blue Apron. Less than 10 bucks a meal. They're going to deliver seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients right to your door. Um, you know, I, I got this for my mom because my mom loves to cook, loves to cook, doesn't love to shop, <laughs> but she is an, she loves to cook. She's amazing at it. And so I got her Blue Apron. I'm like, hey, this, you might like this. And she's hooked. So uh, they're amazing. Just to give you an example, July meals include seared chicken, creamy pasta salad, summer squash and sweet peppers, creamy shrimp rolls with quick pickles and sweet potato wedges, fresh basil fettuccine pasta with sweet corn and uh, some peppers, chili butter steaks, Parmesan potato spinach. Check out this week's menu. Get your first three meals free with shipping by going to blueapron.com slash nerdist. You're going to love how good it feels. You're going to feel involved in the process. It's healthy. It tastes great. Uh, and those meals are home cooked by you or someone close to you. That's blueapron.com slash Nerdist. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Here's Nerdist Podcast number 887 with the brilliant A.D. Bryant. Katie, uh, please. Now entering Nerdist.com. scared of birds and so that but i mean not, not in a way that's debilitating i can handle it there this is a turkey this is an oscillated turkey and so it uh it's really colorful i mean it's way too cold with that open it's freaking somewhat, pretty somewhat damper this and thanks yeah, we spent about a year restoring this house no way uh oh um i don't understand how microphones work <laughs> If I just talk, will it, is it a, okay, so it's been about, oh, Perfect, yeah. we spent about a year renovating this house, and the, um, 
We're only the fourth owners, and the second owners lived here for about 50 years. You're the fourth We're owners? the fourth owners, and the second owners lived here for 50 years. And then they did a bunch of old people shit to the house, apparently. So oh, they, they put yeah, linoleum yeah, floors yeah. down. All of the, almost all the wood was painted white except for in the dining room. Oh, jeez. And, uh, and then the house was abandoned for a couple of years. And then these, uh, these two guys came in. They were partners. They came in and spent seven years, like, raising the house from the dead. Hell yeah. But then they did a lot of kind of cheap stuff to it. So we kind of went like in. Corny. And got Yeah, like a little, it's like. Oh, Pier One countertops. And so we sort of yes. went in and we, so, but they really did, re, they revived it. I mean, that's cool. But we kind of went in and did all the, like, this yes. room was completely white. Yeah, and no, so this is so much better. We had to bring the wood back and put in the wallpaper. And I would make stuff. everyone work from my home. <laughs> I would never leave. I would just be surrounded by my big turkeys and just <laughs> always in my home. Well, you, but in, in New York, this is about the size of an apartment in this, New York. This is twice the size. The se- no, no, I'm kidding. I, yeah, no, totally. This I mean, is- it must be amazing to... Did you Did you go... Did you already live in New York when you started doing SNL? No. Or did you move... Were you in Chicago? No, I lived in Chicago. Yeah. I was just a woman eating hot dogs and, like, <laughs> cruising around the town. I didn't know what anything was in New York. So, I mean, basically, I, I knew Vanessa Bayer beforehand. So, sort of, when I knew I was moving to New York, I, like, asked her. I was like... Where do you live, and can I find a place near there? Kind of. So but that's, that's a dream scenario, though. It's like, oh, well, you get. I mean, getting to move to New York to do SNL is like the best possible scenario. Yeah, but it also like it. Um, it very much. I was in a constant state of like diarrhea at that time, <laughs> like the most constant furious diarrhea for like two months just for the fear of the job totally because i yeah it was just scary are we like have we yeah, started yeah. oh this we've started it. this is we're in it. it's happening we're already doing it i thought we were just hanging we are i mean we are we're just hanging it's just yeah, a hang. hanging don't worry about these but i i guess i just will not rip apart every one i know or something <laughs> now i guess that'd be really funny if you just went through system piece by piece <laughs> The things that irritate you about every cast member. Also, not just public personas, but like people in my family. Yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. That like I can, really private. I want to go deep. Things, <laughs> the childhood traumas, people who wronged yeah. you. I'm going to rip it up tonight. Yeah, just tear, just tear it all up. Just, rip. just destroy my life here <laughs> in front of you. I mean, you could if you wanted no, to. It's no. that easy. No, it's better to not. Are you sure? For today, we'll leave it at maybe the next time I come. Don't you feel like, though, it would be kind of fun, you know, just for some extra press to rip open <laughs> a wound. I'm always looking for extra rip, press. Rip open a wound, say some things you'll re- <laughs> shy LaBeouf it a little bit. <laughs> Uh, we'll call it the Shyla Buffer. Like yeah. that's the that is the Shyla Buffer is the sort of the distance between uh, your reality and sort of a heightened reality of dramatic uh, life uh, in instances. And I think of myself as the female Shyla LaBeouf I've often of wondered. The industry. Good. Okay. So I'm glad you said that because I, I that's something that I I think everyone has no. been feeling. We're on the same page. They see a lot of parallels between you and the choices that Shyla LaBeouf 100%. has made. And so I think it's it's good that you embrace that. Now we don't have to dance around good. the topic. We've gotten right to the heart of it. But I but I do think that uh, New York is can be such an amazing place, but it is also an organism 
that you have to figure out how to navigate. You have to like learn it. Yes. Like I remember even when I went, I think I was there to audition or I was there for a meeting early on, like early in the process of auditioning for SNL and, um, like one of my agents or managers or something was like, meet me at this place. And I looked up the address and I was like, well, I don't know how to get there. I'm just going to take a cab and go. (laughs) And I literally took a cab, like two tiny blocks. Like I just didn't understand what New York was or like how it worked in any way, shape or form. (laughs) Oh, I could, because there was a walk. Oh God. I I truly was like, I would have never made it. Did the cab driver give you shit? He fully was like, are you okay? I think he like felt bad for me because clearly I was like afraid. But Mr. Cab Driver, I just got here from Chicago. Take me to the center of New York. I know. Also, it's not like Chicago is like you know country bumpkin yeah. town. Like, but I truly was like just totally freaked out in a way where like my brain didn't work. The old work. game of city mouse, city mouse. <laughs> hundred percent. Those two mice would just be arguing about fucking pizza. <laughs> totally. It should be thin. It should be thick, you <laughs> asshole. You can really discover a lot about people by... I, you know, it's interesting to me how pizza has become like a fucking political argument that I people know. will have now. I know, and especially because people know I've been in New York and Chicago, they're always like, what do you think? And I'm always like, I just like pizza, and I don't <laughs> care. I don't care, and I want to eat pizza forever. By the way, why do you have to... It's not like someone goes, you can only pick one sushi roll your entire... You can only pick one burger. You know, like, sometimes thin crust is great. Yeah. Sometimes a pie, uh, Chicago-style pizza is great. Totally. Also, I'm unafraid of, like, microwavable pizza. Like, I'm I'm not... I'm I'm open-hearted. You know what? Maybe one night raise, another night bagel bites. Who gives a shit? Like, why do we have to... Why do we have to pick? The thing is, we all like it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> There's nothing wrong with why can't we come to you know it's just another thing that people can argue about right? online and shame each other and create tribalism and You're right. uh, and and create superiority You're right. over. So I yeah, I guess it does serve a purpose. Yeah. Um so what you know there's a have you ever eaten at Two Boots? Oh yeah. They opened a Two Boots here in Echo Park. Oh, baby. Yeah. That's good. It's nice. That's it is really nice cuz LA isn't really known for the za, the za, or really any particular kind of cuisine, or I any feel like kind of... avocado toast. I think of as like oh, a hot LA scene, like feast or but something. But doesn't that feel like something that maybe started in like Portland or Austin? Yeah, you're like, right. And then some, you know, and then like a hipster bit someone, and then it, and then sort of like outbreak <laughs> yes, style totally. bled its way through. A hundred percent. Yeah, and there's like hipster living in the woods, and they got to come in and trap it like a monkey and keep yeah. it from spreading the avocado toast. They gotta. <laughs> I don't I, – I, the Swingers here in L.A. is a diner that has avocado toast in it. And I, I, mean, I don't know if I – I mean, it's good, but what – do you understand the phenomenon behind it? Is this just smearing avocado on a piece of toast or is there something more to it that I'm not understanding? I think the other – like the thing about it is like then what do you put on top of that? So right. like some people are putting like little sprinkled nuts or like little oils or something. Right. and. I'm I'm a full dummy and like I've fully bought it where I'm like I gotta just eat this around the country. <laughs> Maybe we should just I don't know I just I feel uncomfortable ordering it because I feel like it it's like a scam it feels weird yeah. like maybe we should call it douchebag pizza <laughs> <laughs> I know but I love 
douchebag pizza. <laughs> thank you. First of all, I want to thank you for yes. I want to thank you for acknowledging that and then using the term immediately. I mean, come on, it's in my Chicago way. I guess it is. <laughs> in the '90s, I dated a girl who was Australian, and she would put. She had got me hooked a while on. She would slice avocados, put it on toast, put a piece of cheese over that, and then. A little bit of red salt and a little bit of lemon pepper. Come on. And it was pretty fantastic. I mean, that sounds great. That's the ultimate 90s Australian girlfriend <laughs> treat. Yeah, that's me basically <laughs> saying I liked avocado toast before. before I know. Yeah, that was very hipstery of me to say. No, that. but you're honestly cool. No, I don't think I don't feel I don't feel that way. I feel that way. Oh, I appreciate that. Uh, so New York has been kind to you since you lived there after I the mean... taxi debacle. You feel like you <laughs> Well, now you I didn't run back to Chicago obviously. No, I like it now. I mean, but it definitely took me a minute because I was like, "Oh, my God, I can't handle this. Right. Um, but now I really like it. And, like, I, I get that feeling when I come back where I'm like, oh, this is home, like, you know, in a nice way. So. Yeah. What was your – I always love finding out what the people's SNL audition process was. Yeah, it was scary and bad. No, <laughs> I mean – no, <laughs> It obviously it, worked out. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good. I mean, um, I feel like I got very lucky in that when – so I basically – I was, like, performing at Second City – doing like, you know, they do like kind of two hour long like sketch review type shows. And so you write that show with like you and your five buds and um, you perform it for like six months. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it was like the show that I had written with my friends and I had lots of great stuff in it. And it just so happened that like one night Lorne and all the producers came to see it. And <laughs> did you know they were going to be there? Yeah, they told us because oh, okay. I mean, there was like a lot of audience participation and it would be a living nightmare to like, I don't know, be like, excuse me, sir, can we get a suggestion of, oh, no, <laughs> like that's Lauren Michaels. So, um, so yeah, so they told us. So then, I mean, I feel very lucky in that, like he saw me do a two hour show in my home turf with like a nice 300 person oh audience God, as awesome. opposed to like just rolling up for like a five minute audition in a room with like five people in a, you know. Can I get a suggestion from the audience? <laughs> no. Yeah, right. Like a true nightmare. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, so after they saw that show, they were like, okay, we want to fly you out, you know, bring us a hot five minutes, baby. Um, and so they had kind of asked that I do stuff from that show. So that was kind of nice because I was like, okay, I know, I know what I'm going to do. It's stuff that I'll get from the show. And um, so I went and did five minutes. And then they flew, like, basically for every three days, I flew back and forth between New York and Chicago for, like, a month. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so I went back and forth, like, four times, I think. And basically I had, like, a meeting, and then they had me do another five minutes that was, they were like, can you write a whole new five minutes real quick tomorrow? <laughs> if we give you ten minutes, can you write five? <laughs> yeah. Uh. And I was like, sure. Um and I did that, and then uh, and then they flew me back for one last meeting, and that was like with Lorne. So, and what did he say? Um, God, <laughs> well, he was very nice, and he was kind of just like asking me questions. And then um, at the end of the meeting, he was like, "Well, well," and also during the meeting, he was kind of like negging me <laughs> in a way where, well, he was like, "You're very young," and because I was like. 25 at the time and so he was like you're very young and you have a lot to learn and it's so it's very overwhelming here and so I was like wait does that mean like I'm coming here or what is that like do you know what I mean and so then at the very end he was like but 
I think you'll do very well here. And I was sort of like, does he mean later when I'm older (laughs) or like now or what does he mean? And so then when I like walked out, all the producers, uh, when I walked out of his office, all the producers were like giving me hugs, but I still like kind of... No one said the words. No one said like, you're hired and we need you here in a month or like no no one said that. And so I like hugged the producers and then just like walked out the doors of 30 Rock and into my hotel and I sat on the floor in my hotel room and then was just like deep breathing and feeling diarrhea begin. <laughs> of course. And, um, <laughs> and then one of the producers called me and was like, you seem like you weren't sure, but you are higher oh, than like, oh, you know, nice. and I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so you just didn't have an anxiety moment, just grab someone and go, just fucking tell me what's happening. A hundred percent. I was like, yeah, you can play it cool, girlfriend. Just chill in your hotel for a minute. You may or may not have a life changing experience coming your way, but just kind of cruise in and sit on a weird white bed and, you know, but so that's what I did. Well, and then did you immediately go back to Chicago and like pack it up? Yeah. So I, what is weird is, and this is how it is for most people that when you get hired, you pretty much can't tell anyone because they really are trying to save it to release it. Of course. When like, you know, when they want to. So I couldn't tell really anyone. I told my parents and my boyfriend at the time. And then, um, I make it sound like he's not my boyfriend now, but he is, (laughs) (laughs) he is, um, he passed. (laughs) He passed right on by. Um, But so, yeah, so I mean, so I I told them and then I basically went to Second City and I was like, hello, I will be leaving the show next week. Um, You need to get my understudy. No reason. No reason at all. And they were kind of wise to it, you know, because I had had an understudy in while I was going back and forth. And um, so I did like a week of shows at Second City that were super emotional because I the whole time I was like knowing that I was leaving to go and do this thing. And right. I had my last show, which normally at Second City, you have like a big last night. And and so only my cast kind of knew. And we all just like cried our way through the sketches. I'm Aww. sure it was a nightmare for that audience. I'm sure they were like, these people are dying this and, week or something. But inside for you, you're thinking... I am immediately better than everyone here, and I won't ever have to talk to them again after Well, this. certainly. I was yes, like, you course. guys are garbage, and I'm a queen. <laughs> it's weird you didn't pull the... You could have pulled the... Let's see. How do I get out of this in a way where they're not going to know, and you just throw a fit? That's you know, right. I am sick and tired of you <laughs> hogging the scene and you oh stomping God. on my... I'm One of my done. last sketches, I just grab a microphone, and I'm like, and by the way, <laughs> you're all in the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. Yeah. And then that's but, pretty much it. So then I basically went to New York and like lived in a hotel for a couple weeks <laughs> until oh. I found an apartment. Did your boyfriend at the time also live in Chicago? <laughs> yes, yes, he what? did. And he basically, I was like, you got to get rid of our apartment and I'll be in NYC, baby. So that's Have fun. Did. Yeah, pretty much. Put all my shit in a bag and send <laughs> it on out. literally what we did. Although I did sort of feel like a 14-year-old because I kind of called my mom and I was like, can you help me get a mattress in New York? Like, I'm scared. And so she did, like, come and help me. Oh, that's really sweet, <laughs> yeah, though. Yeah, I know. It's nice. And now you're old hat. You know how to take cabs. Uh, no, you said old hat. I'm old hag. No! No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, but it was like, yeah. And it's, now I got it going on. Everything's good. Yeah, it's easy breezy. Did, and do, have you? did you immediately find... Uh, did you feel like you fit into the flow of the show right away, or did it take you time to understand? You know, it's so weird because I was just 
thinking about this the other day because I feel like my first season I was like, I'm fired. I'm dead in the water. Like, this is junk. But then when I look (laughs) back on it now, I'm like, oh, I was having like a fine season, like pretty much from the beginning, you know, and um, definitely in the beginning, I was just like so hard on myself. So um, now when I look back, I'm like, geez, I was in the show a lot, (laughs) baby. (laughs) I should have been living it up. So what advice would you give for anyone who's coming on to SNL who's new now? Uh, I mean, I always say to the new hires, I'm like, you're going to want to like just beat your head in with a hammer and be like, I'm garbage. But because it's just so overwhelming and it's a system. It's like this train that's been running for 40 years and you have to like figure out how can I help this train move? (laughs) Like, you know, I'm not a conductor. I'm not a wheel. But where can I go in all of this? And it takes a little time and you have to like kind of get the lay of the land. So, but I think there's this expectation that like you get there and you knock it out of the park and it does like, it takes a minute. So you just kind of have to be patient and like try and do your best. Does the, does the, the, the stage dynamics feel the same from doing second city in Chicago? Or is there a learning curve? Cause you know, when you're used to being on stage, you're used to being on stage, but every room kind of has its own slightly different dynamic. And then when you add television to the mix and there's cameras in between you and the audience, that creates a slightly different dynamic. Well, I mean, that was, I mean, I literally had never like been on television, been in front of a camera, like done anything like that ever. I didn't know, like, I didn't know about like hitting your mark, (laughs) like I didn't know anything, you know? And then there's this added weird layer, which is the cue cards, which is kind of a thing that, like, doesn't really exist anywhere else. You don't, like, no show that I've ever done has been, like, and you'll be reading off pieces of paper right. that a man will hold for you, you know. I and mean, you probably have never seen, there's a chance you've only just seen this <laughs> you know, an hour ago. Totally. And there's, like, all the mechanics of it are really... Uh, counterintuitive where like you would think that you should be grabbing a line and then looking at the person uh, but really that's what makes it look like they're you're reading because you're looking back and forth whereas you should just keep staring at the cards and it seems wrong you know to do that but you kind of that's like what you're supposed to do so that just like takes a lot of practice and stuff and I was really lucky that my first season, I overlapped with Bill Hader and Jason Sudeikis and Fred Armisen and Keenan. I mean, is still here, but like they really were good teachers about like here's a way to make it look like you're looking at the person, or this is a game show you can really stay locked on the cards, or like you know just kind of teaching you the mechanics of it that are so complicated. And on top of it, you like want to be funny, right? <laughs> you right, know? right, right, right. So that's the stuff that like is equally overwhelming when you get there because it's just like oh how does this work this seems crazy yeah (laughs) i guess i guess it would be sort of like operating a piece of (laughs) operating like a massive industrial robot exoskeleton to move a bunch of large industrial pieces of uh Iron around, and then on top of that, you have to tell jokes. Totally, <laughs> you, you yeah. Still have to figure out. How well, to do and time. there's so much. There's so much like almost old timey showbiz stuff of it, where you're like, you know, you know that in this part of the sketch, they're going to cut to Keenan, but unless you lean out to the left, your shoulder's going to be in the shot. So, like, just remember when you hear like Keenan starts to say his line, like slowly, weirdly <laughs> lean, you know, and then it's going to cut wide, so you have to be back like standing normally or something. It's just like weird little mechanic stuff like that. That like if you were shooting, you know, a regular film or something or a TV show, it's like you cut around that stuff or you get it from a different angle. Right. And you're doing that live. So you're doing all that technical stuff live, which I think is that's 
that's why sometimes when there's like scenes with tons of movement or tons of like, you know, stunts and stuff that's happening live, like the technical aspects of it are insane, you know, but it's, and you're trying to be funny. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. You're figuring out, you're, you have to focus on timing and there's a million things that are designed to throw your timing off. Including like occasionally having like just a stranger who's the most famous person you've ever met, <laughs> like right by you or something, you know, on your face where you're just like, oh, okay. And that's Drake. And here we go. Hey, and like, you know, or like, you know, whoever, it's just such a kind of a bizarre thing where you're like, okay, my life and my comedy depends on the words of Miley Cyrus hey, right Hicks, now. Let's go yes, some comedy out totally, there. Totally. Yeah. What if we did that? So it's on many levels. It's like a, Weirdly, it's a nightmare and a dream. <laughs> is there has there been a, has there been a, a sketch or something that you thought was like, oh, this is a dumb throwaway, no one's going to get this, that ended up becoming something oh, more? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Because um, I, I always feel, feel like there sometimes when you over engineer something and you go, this is going to be the hugest, yeah, it doesn't connect as well. But then sometimes when you're not really overthinking it and you go, oh, I don't know, I'll just try this, and then that becomes a thing. You know what we did. Like in my first couple seasons, we did this sketch a lot that was Cecily and I that was this like girlfriend's talk show thing and where she kind of plays like a popular cool girl and I kind of play like her dork friend who's trying to keep up. And I was super – it's such a simple sketch that like I was sort of like this might not stand a chance because it doesn't have all the like flash and pizzazz of like some other sketches. It's just super simple. It's like a relationship-based scene, you know, which – I feel like sometimes those things can be harder to get away with on SNL because it's like pop crazy celebrity you need like topical. A, you need like fun. a David Pumpkins sketch where it's like, <laughs> yeah, whoa, hey. Exactly. Yeah. And this was kind of just like two girls hanging out and that's it. And it, I was really surprised that like people really responded to that and we got to do it a bunch of times in a row. And like that was, I don't know, that was kind of a weird like it was a good lesson of, like, you don't know what works here. Like, anything can happen if you just, like, try and follow what you think is fun and funny, you know? Have you gone back to Second City to do any shows since SNL? Yeah, I have. I've done, like, a lot of charity shows there and stuff. And um, a couple little, like, you know, I'll pop in and do the set. Yeah, of course. <laughs> whatever, yeah, you yeah. know? Um, but, yeah, you know, it is weird because now when I go back, I know less and less people. And it's, like... It's all turned over from when I was there, which is kind of wild. It does feel like going back to your high school. A hundred percent. I used to sit in that chair. <laughs> totally. And I was fucking class president. Well, and like, <laughs> I'm sorry that everything in this interview is revolving around toilets for me, but like, no, please. I always am like, I want to use the backstage bathroom. I don't want to use like the, the public <laughs> restroom. Audience members come in. Is this part of the show? Oh, fully. More where I'm like, I like go to watch this old second city shows and then at like their what is it called halftime intermission um intermission i'm like i want i think it would be cool if i went backstage and peed in my old pee hole or whatever like that's like what i'm nostalgic for this is only for performers um i know i'm like i used to guys i was you guys i peed in there so many times oh in 2010 i was all over this toilet you're the claw marks on the wall next to the toilet i it's a long story, but I made those. Oh my god, truly, that is like I get nostalgic for. I guess my comfort places. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been back to. Boy, it's actually it's been quite a while since I've been to UC, UCB on Franklin. Really? But the back of the bathroom in the back there 
Like there's graffiti on the wall that I know I wrote. Yeah. So I would almost feel like, um, yeah, okay. And I would I would over describe all the details to prove totally. that I should have access to go back there. I know. I feel that way a hundred percent. But I don't know. Sometimes it you know it just then you just look crazy. I know. <laughs> uh, trust me, I know. <laughs> but you must it must be kind of fun to it must have been maybe weirdly off not off putting, but when you have gone from you know just doing this in a bubble basically in in Second City, yeah, then you're on one of the most popular shows on television, a legacy comedy show, yeah, and then you go back and people are like, I know who you are. Like that's got to feel strange a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely weird. It's bizarrely weird, and it, I feel like SNL is one of the only shows in the world where like you know. Uh, basically it's like a switch flips and everything's different and it's not like I think it's different than if you just get cast in like a sitcom and then that show has to like prove itself and then you slowly kind of like maybe make a name for yourself it's like the second you're hired before you've even performed people are like who is this and what are they doing and how they get in this club and like I want to know what's their deal and like you know that is like a weird overwhelming thing because you're like oh I haven't even done anything like give me <laughs> one minute and I'll try something and then I might let me see you know so there, there is like a lot of it literally changes overnight in a way that is I think kind of foreign and weird you right know? well you're under a, you're under a little bit of a microscope all of a sudden well people have a lot of ownership <clears throat> over the show because they like grew up with it the same way I did you know right so and then do you, do people ever sort of do the oh this season is like when Sandler, so it's a little bit of Sandler and it's a little bit of Farley. You know, it's like there's totally. always going to be the. I mean, it's hard not to. We I did Red Nose Day at, and we shot a lot of it at Studio in Studio Eight H. Yeah, and you, when you just go down and and I mean, I've been watching SNL since it first ever aired. So you're, I'm just sort of going through and being like, oh my gosh, yeah. At, when you see how, how much history is involved. It's hard to not get freaked out. I was just freaked out about it. I was only there for an afternoon. Yeah. It is well, you know what is an added level to it is that the people, all the people that you work with at SNL, so many of them have been there for 25 years or 30 years. Some of them since the very start of the show, you know? And so you're working with costumers who are like, yeah, I used to like dress Molly Shannon or, you know, like Maya Rudolph and all these people. And so you're, you're kind of like, and I'm a size eight shoe. And like, you know, you just, you feel like, the history all around you all the time in every way. Like we all have, you know, dressers and people who help us with our quick changes. And I'm always like, who did you have before me and stuff? You know, I want to get the dirt. So are they cool about talking about that stuff? Are they like, totally? Yeah. We're just going to work, sweetheart. Just put on these shoes and get out there. (laughs) Get your shoulder out of the way. No, they're really good. They're really good. They definitely let it like indulge us in our questions. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's the coolest. I would drive people fucking nuts because I, I almost, when we were doing our shoot, I almost felt like a tour guide because younger people didn't recognize there were certain cast members. I'm like, that's Terry Sweeney. He was there when Dick Ebersol did the show and Lauren wasn't, you know. Totally. So it's like, I know a a tremendous amount, like an annoying amount of, of SNL history. And it's, I mean, there just isn't really anything else analogous to it. I know. And like... It is sort of this weird, like, living scrapbook in the studio, especially where there's, like, you know, there's, like, a 
there's like a paint splotch or a thing where they're like, that's, there's a thing where like Chris Farley used to hit his head all the time. And they're like, this is where he like, there's a sign that says like, watch your head. And then he like wrote his own name. So he would remember. And so like every time I'm there, I'm like, oh my God, you know. <laughs> oh, hit his head by accident. I, for a second, I thought he would just come off stage and whack his head. No, no, no. It's just like a really low hanging oh, gotcha. beam that like you kind of have to be careful of. But I don't know. There's stuff like that all around that. Or, like, we did a shoot recently where um, I, we had to wear, like, old kind of, like, 80s-style, like, white puffy sneakers. And the ones I was given said, like, David Spade on the inside. Oh, and, shit. like, stuff like that. Or, like, I've worn loafers that say, like, Molly Shannon on the inside. And, like, because, you know, they just recycle so many of the, like, of costumes and stuff over the years. They have an incredible archive that's, like... I think I drive the costume people insane because I'm always like, what's this from? Who wore this? <laughs> a lot of times they're like, we bought it today, you loser. Like, <laughs> What if they're like, fuck, just write Julia Louis-Dreyfus in the shoe and just, just shut her I up. I know, I know. But I, I, I'm always like making them go through and stuff. It's, it's the best. And was your uh, boyfriend at the time cool? <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't we talked, cool. I talked to my boyfriend at the time this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Why did I say that? Um, yeah, he was the best. <laughs> I wish he was with me now. No, he is. But um, yeah, he was the best. And it was kind of perfect because weirdly, shortly after I got hired, he was like in the just for laughs Montreal showcase and then Seth Meyers saw him and was like I'm obsessed with this guy so he got hired to like write and uh, work for Late Night with Seth Meyers literally next door literally on the same floor so it really was like a weird romantic (laughs) workplace for me that's fantastic (laughs) no it was really cool it was like three years he worked there and it was kind of the best and so you do you find that because you know, I feel like dating another comedy person definitely has pros and cons. Because yeah. It's a difficult lifestyle and mentality to explain to someone who, for lack of a better term, just works a regular job. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of the insecurities or the anxieties can sometimes butt heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, you, when you're both kind of going through a, maybe a little bit of a comedy crisis. Totally. Or, or well, something. also I feel like so much of comedy is like high highs and low lows where you're like, I'm killing it. And then the next day you're like, I'm garbage. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like, you know, definitely when you're both on a low low or a high high, it's like, whoa, we're flying too close to the sun right now. Right. But, um, but no, I mean, like for us, it's been... I think, like, one of the greatest parts of our relationship because we, before we were working comedy people with comedy money, we were, (laughs) like, you know, I was in college and I was working at a barbershop sweeping up men's hair and, like, he was working for 1-800-GOT-JUNK, like, cleaning out hoarders' houses. And so the fact that we've gotten to, like, go on this journey together, uh, truly, like, bottom to top, is... is is like a dream come true, you know? What it, he must have shared a great junk story. Oh, I mean, he has a million junk stories. And also, we, like, at that time, we had, like, no money, so we furnished our home in, like, other people's <laughs> junk. A hundred percent. Like, everything we owned was, like, this was a hoarder's typewriter. <laughs> like, this armchair belonged to a dead woman. <laughs> You know? They lifted it off her when all of her stuff <laughs> collapsed. On her. I know. So that like, but we had the coolest stuff because it was, just it the was shape all of a, like a Vesuvian almost pose. Truly, the pile of, yes. of stuff. But so yeah, it was kind of the best. 
But it was also, I think, <laughs> the lowest point in his life. <laughs> Not really, but he, he he definitely was like, oh my god, I can't do this much longer. He, he was going to the like Chicago dump like every day, which. Don't go there. Don't go there if you don't have it's to. It's bad. It's not a great. I'm no. sure it's not a great place. What was the first thing? What was your? What would you? What would you say was your first indulgence when you realize like? Because that moment that you know when you get your first like real job, yeah, and you've had it for a bit, you kind of have an epiphany. It. Do, I don't feel like it necessarily always happens right away, but you'll have an epiphany where you go, wait a minute, I think I could pretty much buy anything I want. <laughs> yeah. And I could eat at any restaurant. I yeah. mean, within a reason. No, right? totally. But you're, you're like, like, I could buy any pair of shoes. Like, you sort of, you yeah. get this weird rush of empowerment. It's dangerous because you don't want to just all of a sudden go on a, blow all of your money. No, but there is like a horny moment where you're like, <laughs> I've got money. <laughs> and like, it makes you feel like a horrible villain. But it also is like the most intoxicating, <laughs> like, haunting experience. I mean, I can think of a, a first moment for me, but it wasn't, I wasn't really at SNL. Connor, my boyfriend at the time, <laughs> at the time. and myself, um, we worked, Second City had these contracts on cruise ships. So you would go and perform Second City comedy for four months on a cruise ship. Yep. And we went and did one of those. And then when we came back, I had money <laughs> for the first yeah. time ever. And I was like, I'm going to buy a car. And I just felt, I, it was like a, some kind of like Honda little piece of junk car that I got. But I truly was like, I am Queen Latifah. I am the richest <laughs> woman on earth. I am like, I felt insane from it. And I was like, I can't believe like performing comedy for sunburned people like in the Bahamas got me this car. With I like couldn't believe. Shrimp cocktail food poisoning. A hundred percent. I like was like, I am so cool that this is a comedy car I drive in, you know? But that's a good, you know, but that's a, that's an acceptable thing. Like mo a lot of people need a car to get from, was there like a, a thing that you were ashamed that you bought? Like a dumb thing? Ooh, um, or just like an, or like an indulgence? Hmm. Trying to think. I mean, I don't know. I, I can't think of... I'm like... I guess I'm a dumb weenie. I need to start indulging. <laughs> you dumb weenie for saving your money and being a responsible <laughs> I citizen? I know. No. I mean, I'm trying to think. You know, I feel like I just probably was like buying clothes in a way that was like... I felt like I was like from Clueless or something. Right. I was like just trying to be like a little fashion queen or something. But I can't think of anything. I wish I was like a Lamborghini, Chris. <laughs> no, but it'd be but, something, something like, you know, uh, a salad gold parrot or oh, some kind of... that's what you would buy. <laughs> that's what... Hey, now, that you, now that you mention it... You gotta. Wait, is, so, so this parrot, is he a living solid gold parrot or is he... <laughs> oh... I assumed he was like he died petrified and he was dipped in gold. He think he was dipped in gold, or he flew through a gold a gold <laughs> waterfall and then just like, oh. or he's like the little. You're probably too young to remember this movie, but he's like the little mechanical owl from Clash of the Titans. Yes, I know. I know of this owl. You do? Yes. How do you know of Bubo the mechanical owl? Okay, well, I didn't know his name. Okay, well, but... fine. <laughs> Maybe I know some things that no, are I, I went to a very religious high school, and weirdly, I feel like in some religion class, they were like, we're going to show you Clash of the Titans. 
as an as ed- education? I guess I don't know. Isn't it kind of funny because I went to Catholic school too, and it's so. F- I don't know if you went to. Catholic yeah, no, school. it was Catholic school. What so, if I went to some weird, just like future Christian school? But no, it was Catholic school. It's uh, so my Catholic school at the time was uh, <laughs> this, it, but we did we did study mythology and. And I really had a difficult time, and they never really fully explained, because I would have mythology and then a theology class, and they would tell us a bunch of things like, well, at one time, people believed that there were gods who would oversee your garden, (laughs) and so they dealt with the prosperity of the garden, and that's all bullshit. But there's a guy who uh, (laughs) made wine out of what, you know, it's like, they go, but wait, how is that? They go, because it just is. Fucking shut up about it. That's just the way. Yeah, it's just the way it is. I go, yeah, but how do we know that someday people won't look back on this the way that we look back on ancient mythology and go, well, no, because now we've discovered the truth and they didn't know it then. Like, but doesn't that seem... I know. I have that all the time where I'm like, so the water is holy. That's That water is. But this in my cup is just normal water. I'm like, what is what is well, this? We just, did, we just had a story on At Midnight about how the Vatican was saying that... This story is annoying for so many reasons, but it has to do with gluten intolerance and communion wafers. Oh, no. And about... <laughs> that's the appropriate reaction. Where it's like... They, I guess some people wanted gluten-free communion wafers, but the church is saying, no, it can only be low gluten, but oh, there has to be a certain God. amount of wheat in it, but it's because of uh, transubstantiation. It's Because it's not... Because it's the body of Christ. I mean, it's just this whole... It actually makes me like, we're in hell. <laughs> like, we live in hell this now. We are in it now. We yeah, don't know it, now. but we are. Yes. Can I just have, like, avocado toast for my community? Can you just bless that? Come on. What's special about these little pieces of flatbread? Why couldn't you just bless some avocado toast? For real. And throw a little holy cheese on there? I mean, and get me an Australian girlfriend from the 90s. <laughs> Come on. I can just imagine you in the 90s cruising around with that Sheila. Oh, that Sheila. I can't yeah. do an Australian accent. That's I shouldn't have tried to dip. You're doing Sheila. really good, though. I don't. I just tried to copy her. Well, she was trying to shed her Australian accent. I was trying to learn how to do <laughs> Someone it. Someone told me um, at SNL once, they were like, if you say Jennifer Lopez, it like... Is a really good way to like get into the accent that it weirdly has like all the sounds that you want to like pull you into the Australian accent, and it does kind of work. It does have every like consonant and phonetic sense that like helps. I know. I feel like Nassim Pedrad told me that, so shout out to Nassim. That's amazing. I know. Isn't that good? That's that's I'm I'm absolutely going to use yeah because I there's a bunch of little sound tricks like that like if you want a a friend of mine who does a lot of voiceover ADR and voiceover work said if you want to sound like a recording is running backwards <laughs> you say the words turnip and Brezhnev so what? you go turnip Brezhnev turnip Brezhnev Brezhnev turnip and it's that oh, wow yeah. hot tip some hot tips for hey so you're in you a situation <laughs> wait a minute. How would I say Jennifer Lopez in an Australian accent you backwards? Got it. You couldn't do it. <laughs> no, you it can't. Wouldn't, it wouldn't it's be a gem. It's mess. Uh, I also want to thank you for doing Danger and Eggs. Well, thank you for. I guess you're my boss. Well, technically, I guess that's true. But it, you know, but but Danger and Eggs is really. It, it is a shatty. It is a shatty Petoskey. Uh, I uh, love it. And and you're so great on it. And the show's so much fun. Thanks. And so. 
I'm, I mean, I really think the show is important right now. I know. I know that you and I are probably the two most biased people to be sitting here talking about this show. But, like, I really do believe it is, like, a light in darkness in this time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's so um, – there are so many messages – in the show that aren't heavy handed, that are like very still presented in a fun, delightful way, but that are like things that if I was a kid, I was at one time, actually. (laughs) Wait, what? I was a child. That's interesting. I would have loved to have hear things about like, you know, hear things like identity takes time or, or things like messages like that, you know, that are good for any child to hear or any adult to hear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I just think it's such, it's also just like a very positive, delightful show. <laughs> yeah. It's positive and it's delightful and it's inclusive and, sh- and she's a great character. Yeah. And, and I, and I love Philip too, because I, I think most people probably want to be a DD or, but are probably really a little bit of a Philip. I am a Philip. I know that I am. And so it's a nice, it's it it really it's like the sort of perfect counterbalance of you know uh, of trying to find the the perfect midpoint between these two characters. Totally, and that's kind of what their friendship is, which I think is like a nice lesson. You know, there's balance there. So I I just love it. I like I feel like I'm a freak about it because I'm I'm obviously like doing stuff to actually promote it, like doing weird appearances or whatever. But I also like in my day to day life keeping like, have you watched it? <laughs> In a way that's, like, I think very stressful to the people around me. But I'm like, have you gotten to this episode of that one? I just, like, love it. But when people ask me who it's for, I go, well, it's a, you know, it's like a, it's technically a kids show. Right. It's, it's through Amazon Kids. But it has that same sort of SpongeBob tonality. Totally. That there are, you know, layers of adult that you could anyone any age group could relate to it in, on, on some, there's a stratified layer for everybody. Yeah. And... I mean, this is, I like hate to watch myself or listen to myself in any way because it just is stressful. Um, But weirdly, I could sit down and I watched every episode of this show like so, truly like a binge watch because I was just like, this is the bomb. Yeah. I'm so, I don't know. I love it so much. And Shaddy's great too and I've known her forever. You have? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, I've known Shaddy a long time. And and I only came into Puny a couple of years ago. Oh, really? We had been friends before that. And then one of their partners wanted to just stay in Minnesota and not really be in animation anymore. And yeah. Shaddy said, do you want to be a partner in the company? And I, I always wanted to make cartoons. So, yeah. So yeah, I, made I, it. I, I, I got to do it. It's... Oh, but I say I got to do it. I did almost literally nothing for this show other than <laughs> do, like, one voice for one character. But... But Shaddy really, like, Shaddy and her team really, really She, did like, an incredible blew job. me away. It's the best. Yeah. It's so cool. Now, are you out in Los Angeles promoting that, or are you promoting something, or were you doing something um, else? No, I've been kind of in and out of L.A. doing promotion for that and for the big sick, but, yeah. I'm oh, here for- my God, of course. Yes. Great job in that movie, by the way. <laughs> I completely you. forgot to mention. That response was too large and no, too sweet. No, because I just, cause I just feel dumb that... I literally just saw it because Kamel and Emily were over, um, I don't know, about two weeks ago. Oh, cool. And I was gushing at them about how much I love the movie. It's so good. It's great. And also, I, I feel like it does a great job of capturing between, like, you and Kurt and Bo and Kumail, like, the the interaction of comedians, you know, like, of just forming this weird little dysfunctional yeah. family and shitting on each other in a loving way, yeah. fairly nonstop. Totally, and just like 
I don't know. I feel like so much of my seven years in Chicago, like doing comedy, was just like hanging out, right? <laughs> you know. And I feel like it captures that in like a really nice way. But I mean, that's like such a small part of the film. I feel like all the stuff with Kumail's family and the parents, like Ray Romano and Holly Hunter. It's, I mean, and Zoe Kazan is brilliant. It's like I think it's so good. Am I bragging now? No, not at all. Because it, you know what? It, it's Catholic guilt. Because I feel like uh, don't ever hold your head up too high. <laughs> I know. But uh, but I do think that uh, I'm enjoying seeing that it's it's gaining momentum. Totally. And I see it's like the release is expanded. I know, it's and so and cool. I, I, I see the ads for it uh, all the time. Me and, too. Uh, and so it's really it's really exciting to to I see know. that. No, it's freaking cool. It is cool. Although it is still. Surreal for me to see someone doing Emily. I know. Like to see someone doing a, a character of Emily is is so is so surreal. I mean, Zoe was great. Yeah. But when it's someone that you're really really close friends with, and you you're like, oh my god, she picked up on this weird little mannerism that I never really. But that's what she does. I know. It's so you know. I had that with um, Chris Kelly. From he's one of the head writers of SNL, and he made this movie Other People, and Jesse Plemons plays a version of Chris Kelly, and. There were so many little things that I noticed where I was like, oh, my God, that is my friend who I write with every day. It, like, blew me away. It was really wild. And and Jesse Plemons is also an incredible actor. Well, which is why it was, like, literally bone-chilling to watch him, like, transform into my friend because I was, like, everything, like, to his posture and, like, the way he bit his nails and stuff, I was like, that is my homie. That is wild. It almost makes you think, like... Yes. Well, also, like, I spend so much time with Chris, but I never really notice those things. But then when I see someone else doing them, I'm like, oh, I guess that is what he does. Chris, I don't know how to break this to you, but Jesse Plemons is kind of a better you than you. And so we're going to be friends now. He's teaching me about you. (laughs) I think you should talk to him to learn about yourself. I feel like that would. Was that. Is that ever. an improv or, or, or sketch exercise where someone else does a character of you back at you? Oh, I feel like definitely that is, right? Or something like that. I feel like I've been involved in stuff like that. Or I've done an exercise where, like, you're supposed to, like, play the biggest asshole you know. Like, you should go on stage and, like, think of the worst person you know who you hated so much and, like, be that person. <laughs> just, for, just as a general rule or just Or for, just, for like, to try, character. like, yeah, to try one time or something. Oh, my God. That's a great exercise. I know. Because then you really get down to the core of, like, what is it that bugs me about that person? Well, not only that, but I think when you, when you do exercises that force you to think in superlatives – it shaves off a lot of confusion because you instantly kind of know what your motivation is. Totally. So if you're the... Sometimes I heard that if a band is stuck writing a song, sometimes they will write essentially like the hackiest thing they can think of. (laughs) Yeah. The hackiest, most, in their minds, the most watered-down piece of shit, you know, mainstream thing. Totally. And then what ends up happening is... They, they they always kind of automatically discount the fact that they have a natural filter that will help actually kind of make but it but it's just a way to lower your shields and prejudices so that you can just kind of make something totally also like I feel like sometimes I get so burnt out where I'm like nothing's funny anymore and I I can't do this <laughs> I told all the jokes there's no <laughs> jokes left I'm done um, but then you know you start to think about it in terms of like people you know or people you've encountered and you're like oh there, there's an endless supply of stuff well you're going back there. in September 
September? Yeah. So you still got a couple months. You'll go back refreshed. Are you doing any other movies or anything over the summer? No, I'm kind of just chilling. I'm like trying to write a little bit and just hanging. Good. That's that's great. I think so, too. I've done a lot of press over the last two months, so I'm kind of ready for a little chill time. Yeah, because I would imagine the SNL schedule is... um, a living nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it's like a dream. So, and the adrenaline like gets you through it, but it is—it's very, very intense. I mean, I don't—I—I I, I feel like I like to remind people of this a lot because I don't want it to be lost on on them. When when people have accepted something, and the cast, you know, and whoever's making it makes it look easy to do, I think people just take it for granted. Yeah, but yeah. it should never be lost on people. That every fucking week you are writing a brand new and performing a brand new 90 minute, well, you know. Yeah, give or take. 90 minutes with commercials. But 90 minutes sketch comedy show about shit that mostly has happened that week. Yeah. For the first, you know, basically for the first time. Totally. Your, Your show is almost your work. I know you do a practice show, but essentially your show is your workshop and then it's done. Yeah. That's an incredible feat. Well, you know, I the thing that I always think about, too, is like, so, you know, we don't work Sunday. Monday, we come in for like two hours. So it basically happens all Tuesday to Saturday. Right. Which is like, that's zero time. That's <laughs> that's nothing, yeah. you know? Like, I've been in, I've like had the stomach flu that long. I'm sorry I'm always <laughs> talking about like releasing. Are you okay? I'm fine. There's a lot of diarrhea. I know. I'm sorry. Why am I? Um, but... You know what I mean? Where it's like, it's so fast. That's like the blink of an eye. And a lot of times, like, I think of certain costumes that they've made or, I mean, like, when Hurricane Sandy happened, they were, like, borrowing costumes from the Met because they couldn't get out of Manhattan. Right. I mean, stuff like that that's, like, incredible and insane, you know? But it's, like, kind of the magic of SNL. Are you already thinking about characters you want to bring in for the fall, or are you just putting that off until later? You know, it's like whenever you do that, that stuff never works in a weird way. Like, you almost have to take it a week at a time and just go off what's topical or what's happening or what's kind of in the world. Also, I always feel like meeting the host on Monday, you get their vibe and their energy, and you kind of are like, oh, I could see them doing this or that, and that really helps because you really have to – Really, the show is about them, and so you want to, like, make them look good. And um, so it's hard It's hard to, like, brainstorm over the summer or whatever. Do you ever go study people in, like, Central Park? Although I, I'm hesitant to go too far into that because I feel like the, I feel like the classic – this is the classic red flag line. <laughs> this is the sociopath tap meter. <laughs> when someone says to you in kind of an arrogant tone – I just like to people watch. Yeah. That yeah. to me is like, you're a fucking sociopath. Yeah. You think you're better than everyone and you're a sociopath and you think the world is a zoo for you. Totally. And fuck you. You know, like, yes. I, but I do, but it, it does seem like if you went to a place that had a lot of different types of people, yeah. you, but it also, it also feels creepy and stalky. I mean, it's weird. It's, I feel like I draw more like from like stuff that I experienced myself like as a child or something or like an insane teacher I had or someone who an insane friend I had that like at the time I was like, this is my best friend. And now looking back, I'm like, that was an insane like eight year old who right. tormented me. And now I'm going to put that in a sketch, <laughs> you know, or that kind of thing. So revenge. I love to get revenge, and that's what I'm here for. Well, I was just reading an article about because something that comes up on the, the on the podcast a lot is that 
you know, I, I have this idea that around the time your hormones kick in when you're a teenager is really when you form your identity that becomes your identity for the rest of your life. I'm so with that. And you, that's why you always are trying to make up for whatever that kid went through. And you're always that kid in your head. Yeah. And so someone sent me this article and some, and some social scientists tied it to the idea of popularity and how much being popular or not being popular affects and informs the rest of your life and what you respond to and how you engage in social situations. And... And said that, you know, the rates of anxiety and depression are higher for people who did not experience popularity. But people who did experience popularity, it didn't necessarily mean that people liked them. Mm. But just – so there, are, there is actually a subset of people who are popular but still kind of felt unliked. Uh, however – I feel like if I had been popular in school, I never would have really sought out comedy. I never would have yeah. really tried to Looked achieve for other anything. Places. I never would have, you know, gone inward to try to discover anything about myself. So did you... I feel like you must have been popular. You're like the coolest, smoothest, cool guy of not, all time. Not at all. I was completely socially ostracized. I did not have many friends. I had like a couple friends who also were in chess club and who played D&D and video games and stuff yeah. and... and did not I did not fit well or like other kids yes. very much. I found them to be shallow and dickish. Yeah, and I hated them. <laughs> uh, but uh, did you feel? Did you? What was your friend structure? I mean, I had a couple very close friends in high school, and then I would say I was like friendly with everyone. But I never. I mean, like I said, I went to like a super super Catholic high school that was like we wore uniforms and it was super strict. And I just feel like I was constantly getting the message of, like, you're bad, you're going to get in trouble, and you're – meanwhile, I'm, like, getting straight A's and, like, have never left my house, right. <laughs> you know? Right, But there was, like, always this constant – like, I was – I would get detentions for the dumbest reasons, and I feel like that, like – brought out this like anger in me <laughs> like i got a detention once for wearing a toe ring now it was the early 2000s so that was very cool at the time but like i got like a 45 minute detention for wearing a silver toe ring <laughs> and like you know I, I, like that those kind of things like made me insane and so i had a real like rise above kind of like attitude right <laughs> where i was just like mad um but I guess I, I don't know. I mean, I was I did like student council and stuff, which I do feel like now looking back, I'm like that's a popularity contest in like a nasty way. It really is, you yeah. know, because um, we it's not like we were like <laughs> exacting any change or anything, like <laughs> you know. Um, we changed the font on the, the lunchroom side. <laughs> yeah, you guys, we did it. Well, also I fully did it because. Our announcements we did over TV, so I ran to, like, have the position of the person who did the announcements, which was just, like, my constant quest for, like, attention. <laughs> so you were, you were always comedy savvy. Yeah, I mean, not really. I started really early doing improv in a weird way. Like, I was, like, 14 or 15 when I found, like, long-form improv because I found this, like, kind of teen improv troupe. And, um, like, right away I was like, oh, this is so much more fun than like doing a play or something. Right. I was like, I get to make up my own shit. And like, um, and also like I was doing improv with like 11 and 12 year olds <laughs> and I was like 15. <laughs> and so I, w I was like, I'm a fucking genius. I like literally was like, I'm so good at this and these people suck. And I was like, yeah, they're like in elementary school, but, uh, but it gave me like a false confidence where I was like, these people don't even know, like, you know, in high school, I was like, these people don't even know. I like, 
do this cool thing, which is a dork thing. But, right. you know, it like gave me a little sense of personal power, I think, where I was like, I'm good at this thing and I'm going to keep doing it. And that's why I want to go to Chicago. And, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 it is sort of a fun secret thing that I'm sure that, you know. People are like, yeah, my spare time, I make leather holsters for my... <laughs> Guns? No. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say... <laughs> I was like, holy they'll shit. They'll pay. Someday they'll all pay. <laughs> I, I was going more in the, I'll tell you what was in my head, so you can see where I was going, that it was not guns. It was basically like sheaths for swords, like at Ren Fi- Renaissance Fair. That's where that I was going. That sounds more charming. You went- <laughs> I'm sorry I went right to like, I make leather holsters. By the way, I'm sorry I didn't guns. yes and that, because that could have gone in a really fun direction, but I wanted to make it very clear, very fast, that that was never any part of my No, MO. that's not a fun direction. That is Let's not a fun direction. Let's stay away from there. So if you could kill anyone from your <laughs> high school, like... In order. Great. Who- <laughs> this is what I came for. <laughs> I said we were going to rip it up, and we finally got there. You know what I think is good, though? I think it's actually good. I think some of that high school and grade school pain is really good, and because I think there's... I think it, there can be a healthy amount of motivation behind oh, it. With totally. that, If you don't obsess on it and yeah. let it ruin your life, but just sort of use it as fuel for every time you're... You get down about something and you think about people who are shitty to you. You're like, I'm going to show them. Yeah. Even if you can just use that to motivate and push through, I think is, is can be healthy. Yeah. And I also feel like a lot of my, like, even elementary and middle and high school experience, I almost feel like I was, like, outside of myself. Like, I was a 30-year-old woman who also had to do eighth grade or something. <laughs> so, like, even though I was, like, in eighth grade, I was like, this is a silly situation. And, like, I look forward to being 30 someday, you know? And I do feel like that's, like, how I kind of got through often was just being like, this isn't my life. This is a little time that I'm in right now. You oh, know? a pop quiz. How quaint. <laughs> oh, vocabulary. I'm charmed. <laughs> I look forward to doing my taxes very soon. Not a bad character, by the way. Is <laughs> the 30-year-old woman oh in eighth God. grade. The 30-year-old woman in eighth grade. Check it out in September, who everybody. Thinks, who thinks she's 30, but <laughs> she's still in eighth grade. Come on. I'm, te- I'm telling you. It's not a bad idea. What's her name? What's her name? Does she have a name? Oh, definitely. Like, like probably like Diane Shapiro or something <laughs> like <laughs> The she least, the least name. eighth grade name you've ever heard. It's like hyphenated or something. Diane Shapiro Diane, Dwyer. Diane Shapiro Dwyer. Yeah, that's really fucking funny. Anyway, I hope that happens. Is, I, I really hope. I hope that that. Thank you. That's all right. When you're accepting the Emmy. Good. Don't thank anyone else. No, I only can thank myself. You can thank yourself. <laughs> I think me and only me, I'm gorgeous and I've been doing good for a long time. Thank your boyfriend at the time. (laughs) That was truly like, that was, I hope that wasn't like wishful thinking that like came out in some like nasty way where I was like, he's gone to me now. (laughs) I'm already, I have a couple of feet out the door. Uh, no, I think it, it makes sense because you were speaking in context. Yes, it was a long time ago. Well, also now we're engaged, so now he's something different. He's a fiance. He's a fiance. He's, so, he's your fiance at the he time. He was a boyfriend at the time. When are you guys getting uh, married? I don't know. Yeah. I'm like so bad. I haven't done anything. So y- yeah, I guess I, never. <laughs> I know. Well, I was I was very lucky because when Lydia and I got engaged, and you know, uh, she said. Hey, and I did not ask for this. She offered. She was like, 
you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this really easy for you. You can basically pretty much just show up. And I was like, I want to help yeah. you realize that dream. I'm going to help you realize so that good. dream. good. And so she did an amazing job. And, and so that was, all, that was all. I feel like if it was up to me, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. Who do we invite? You know, like <laughs> yeah, I'm, totally. I'm, I'm bad about all that stuff. I know. Me too. I definitely, I, I'm not someone who like my whole life has been like, my bridal day. <laughs> like, I can't wait to be bridezilla. <laughs> yeah, totally. So we'll see. Well, let me, just, let me just pitch something to you. Please. Pitch your wedding as a sketch. So that the show, so you do it on the show, and the show pays for it, and then you wear like a wedding dress that Jan Hooks wore in a sketch, and they actually, and it's it's a sketch of a wedding, so they plan it all, and then you actually, but then you actually do get like someone who's ever the guest host is actually, or you get them ordained, and then they actually marry you, so it's real. I think what you just described is actually like my worst nightmare. Like, when I close my eyes and see, like, a hell scenario wedding, that's what it is. <laughs> Where I'm like, and musical guest. <laughs> like... Musical guest, Katy Perry. <laughs> but I'm open-minded. All right, good, good. I just want to make sure. Um, well, this was uh, this was an hour already. We oh already blazed God. through an hour. It was hour. so fun. Thanks for having me. This I'm so glad we got a chance to sit down and talk because I'm a, I'm a fan of you and your comedy. And, I'm and a fan of you. And it was really fun to hang out a little bit at the Danger and Eggs party, but, yeah. but everyone was running around. I know. A lot it was a hot directions. party scene. It was a hot party scene at El Cid's down on no, uh, West was... Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> this was the best. And you and Lydia realized that you had met each other at a Christian Siriano I know. Show. How wild was that? I was truly like, I know this woman. Yeah, you both know, had that moment. I know. I know you. I know you. Where I did know. we meet? But you know what? It's so, like, I don't know. Sometimes those things, I'm like, I don't belong at a fashion show. So I feel very, like, out of my body. And um, and so it was nice to see a friendly face. That's nice. Well, and if you're ever in an event again. I mean, Lydia, it was like, we're we're terrible. We, we do go to some events, but we're always the people in the corner going, I don't think we belong here. Yes, that's me. Too I'm weird. like, where are the snacks? And I need to go. I like to think that everyone feels that way, but I don't I think don't they do. I don't think that's do. true. Yeah. I know. So the trick is just to find other people. If I see a comedy person at a party, if oh, I see you at a party. Great. That we're hanging out because you're my safe space. Yes, exactly, exactly. I will we'll just people watch. We'll just go people watch. You know, I'm just a people. Watch. I'm just an honest person. Oh, God, I'm just honest. I just people watch. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, but thank you so much for being here, Eddie Bryan. It's an absolute pleasure. The big sick people can see it is expanded. Danger and Eggs is on Amazon mm-hmm. Prime. You can watch it, and uh, SNL comes back in September. Yeah. And uh, thanks to Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> Thank you, Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> He's great, Jennifer Lopez. He's still Jenny on the block. <laughs> I feel like I'm doing a little more New Zealand than Australian. I know. New Zealand goes up a bit. I, I can't do any accent, and that's why I'm the worst SNL cast <laughs> member of all time. Gina, you know, if you, I, I feel like the way to try to lock into the Kiwi accent is just to ha- is do Jermaine saying Brett's name. Brit. <laughs> Brit. <laughs> that's a good hot tip, too. Brit. Yeah. This is, like this is a dialogue podcast. Yeah, yeah this is... A- or, no, dialect. I said dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> Using dialect in your dialogue <laughs> podcast. Please buy our DVD. Don't get diarrhea while doing dialect <laughs> with your dialogue. Wow. All right. You really wrapped it up. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. <laughs> 
What came first, the chicken or the egg? Spoiler alert, it's neither. At Happy Egg, we believe happiness of the hens is what actually came first, because without happy hens, there would be no such thing as happy eggs. You know, eggs with delicious orange yolks. Those come from hens who are raised the happy way on eight plus acres of family owned farms. Choose happy at happyegg.com and look for the yellow carton at a store near you. Happy Egg.